what they would do, these older sailors from the 1600s and even earlier, was they would raise the sail in the front of the boat versus lowering the sail in the back of the boat, or the, ma- the mast, the sails on the mast, because they had multiple masts on those boats and vice versa. This is how they steered, steered the boat by raising the different sails. And this stuck with Jim Drake. That's how I'm going to be able to get power and steering from these old sailors teaching me how they did it. I know that Jim and Hoyle were friends and that Hoyle brought the surfing side and Jim, the sailing side, they thought, wouldn't we put the two together? That'd be a neat invention. There were several longboard prototypes for the original windsurfer, most designed by Hoyle, shaped by Gary Seaman. Once the final design was selected, it would become a matter of manufacturing the board at a cost and later at a pace that would contribute to the growth of the sport. Exactly. I mean, Hoyle did an amazing thing with the sport and taking that concept and throwing his life savings into it and his passion and you know risking it all to try and turn it into something commercially viable that people would actually buy and he pulled it off which was really neat. Hoyle developed it, ran with it and put it on the map and is responsible for the way we see it today there's no question. If he hadn't done it somebody else would have. Would it have been Darby? Probably not. However inventor, he's the inventor According to the Smithsonian, he's the inventor. Jim Darby, the aeronautical engineer. But listen to Hoyle Schweitzer's son, Matt, talk about the beginnings. As most people who have tried it know, even with an instructor, the first go can be quite calamitous. The next attempt was made by Hoyle Schweitzer, who added an uphole rope to the mix, utilized to get the sail up and out of the water. Once they were up and going, a whole new world of wind and water evolved. I know the first successful windsurfing was done at Malibu, and that was with uh, my father and a guy named Alan Pardici and Gary Seaman. But where did it take off? Ah, it was Germany. Of all the places, they fell in love with windsurfing. It was really unique to see somebody with a windsurfer, and then it grew to be the fastest growing sport in the world. They treated us like, like kings. It was insane. One of the countries where windsurfing became extremely popular, Germany, I think the popularity was on these little inland lakes. There were so many people who wanted to windsurf, they had to race in the water. It was such an in thing. You'd be driving around the Autobahn and, you know, one out of every three cars had a windsurfer on it. Can you imagine? The early 1980s saw a period of tremendous growth for windsurfing. Participation was at an all-time high. The professional World Cup tour was born, and the sport was awarded with Olympic status in the 84 Games. In Hawaii, riders were taking the sport to new rocket levels, and equipment developed at a feverish pitch. The greatest windsurfer in the history of the sport is Robbie Nash. Wait till you hear him. You can hear the passion in his voice. He literally could go up the face of the wave at Pipeline and do a 360, literally roll a somersault with the winds, the board, everything, and then land back down and ride pipeline. Once the invention came about, so many innovations came afterwards. First time I jumped the windsurfer was at Sunset Beach in California. You know, you'd be flying out and going fast and a wave's coming at you and it's in- inevitable that you what's going to happen. You're, it's like on a, a motorcycle hitting a jump. You're going to get airborne. And I remember just yelling, going, oh my God, this is insane. You know, I was like, yeah, you know, you had a brand new board every week and a new sale every month. And 
You know, the, the industry was classic. You'd have to buy this, and six months later, you'd have to buy that. That one's completely outdated, and you know, it was crazy for a while. And then the innovation continued to happen. All of a sudden, there was no limit of what you could do. Over the top, inventive, anything you wanted to try, you had to try it, it was incredible. If anything looked like it might work, you'd try it. But you need the concept to start someplace. In the world of sports, the example of bringing two worlds together is the windsurfer. It changed the world. But it was two people who came together. And the friction that occurred with that, I did not realize. In the world of art, however, what you're going to hear coming up next is one of the most creative people in the food business. And he's thankfully, he's young. He's still around, Dominique Ansel. It's going to be more than listening to him talk about baking. He just happens to use food. But what he does is excite all of us with what's possible each day. He happened to invent the cronut. And coming up, you're going to hear Anthony Bourdain talking about how much he idolized and encouraged this young inventor. You're listening to the one and only Weekend Warrior Show here on 710 ESPN. Holy emoji, clap man. Weekend Warriors on Facebook. Holy slip disc. That's right, Robin. Hear listeners talk about their aches and pains. Holy hamstrings. Along with Doc's clapper vision. Breathe deeply. And advice to callers. On your toes, Robin. So like, follow, and enjoy. A wise decision. The Weekend Warrior Facebook page. Frankly, I can think of nothing more stimulating. 